All right, welcome to episode 33 of the At-Bat Podcast presented by War Media, where we give you our thoughts on the latest Chicago baseball news as well as take a trip around the league. I am Saul Rodriguez. I am joined by a whole panel of war, uh, my war colleagues. I have Chris Pennant, uh, Gabe Wilkins, and Miles Porter. Uh, we'll go around. Chris, how you doing today, man? Doing all right, man. Uh, started, well, I was going to, I was going to pitch something almost, but I was like, started, started bartending <laughs> this week. That was, oh. uh, that's an interesting experience. Um, if anybody's worked in the service industry, you have not lived until three people are handing you their credit cards and another two people are asking you for a cocktail. So <laughs> f- fully, fully in that industry now. <laughs> I will say this, you'll probably get a lot of personalities trying to talk sports or something there, I'm sure, around there. All, already. Yeah. Woo, yeah. Already. Yeah. <laughs> How are we doing, Gabe? I'm doing well, man. I can't complain. You know, just paying attention to the moves that's being made, you know, relaxing, kicking it, enjoying the off-season NBA stuff. But big-time moves was made today out on the West Coast, and I know we're going to get into that a little bit later. How are we doing, Miles? Doing good. This weather's been uh, horrible. Uh, the weather's been horrible. <laughs> uh, but, you know, just, uh, you know, Northwestern keeping me busy and staying staying in shape for the upcoming season next year. So just uh, taking care of business. Yeah, you know, Miles got that, that Bears fever. That's why he's got the jacket on. You know, he's, he's feeling yeah, he feel, maybe, he's maybe feeling if I it. put it on, they'll play good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? It's like at this point, at this point, we're just like, man, seeing, you know, as long as Justin Fields goes off, it's fine. You know, I won't be too, too sad about a loss. I'm like, just go off, get like over 140 yards, and then we'll, we'll you know, we'll have fun yeah. from there. <laughs> All right. But uh, today, we just wanted to go over the offseason uh, for the Cubs and the White Sox, as well as cover some of the deals. Cause yeah, Gabe, you, you mentioned that there's been a lot of uh, deals that have happened over the last couple of days, uh, including, including a big trade uh, today between the Mariners and the Jays. But we'll get to that. Um, first want to start, we'll start off with the White Sox as we have Gabe and, and Chris here. Um, you know, just your overall thoughts on what they need, uh, this off season, the White Sox obviously had a disappointing season, 81 and 81, where they could have, you know, or should have gone far, you know, uh, should have done a lot better than they did. Uh, now with, you know, with, you know, Pedro Grifol at, at the helm, uh, you expect a lot more from the next year. Um, uh, and you also don't expect giant changes to the roster. Uh, but they do need something, whether it's like second base, a second baseman or some arms in the pen or just, you know, so, just some help in general. Um, but we'll start with you, Gabe. What do you think? What are your initial thoughts on the White Sox offseason? And is there any particular names that you're eyeing? I know Sox fans have mentioned guys like Andrew Benintendi, um, Jack Peterson, even though he's not available anymore. That was one guy that I heard as well, but he actually just resigned with the Giants. So, uh, yeah, Gabe, what, what are your initial thoughts on, on the Sox offseason? It's been rather quiet, mm-hmm. and you have a lot of people as a result of that wanting to play GM across White Sox Twitter, you know, mixing and matching pieces on who to get and who not to get, et cetera. But the most glaring need as big as second base is and filling that hole is really in the corners of the outfield particularly in left field, the position in which Eloy Jimenez once manned on a daily basis prior to injury. And now we're going into the 2023 season with the expectation of him being the designated hitter on a primary basis. So with that being said, you have to figure out a way to fill that need in left. I think that Oscar Colas eventually will become the everyday outfielder in right field whenever he comes up. The only question is, is whether or not he will be here come opening day or by Memorial Day because of, you know, situations with service time, as well as how he performs in spring training, is which I think would is what's going to dictate a lot of that. With that being said, though, even with Oscar Colas and Wright, you still want to have an option just in case, you know, he doesn't get acclimated as fast as you might project him to when it comes to getting prepared to face major league pitching. There's so many names that I could choose from. Andrew Benintendi would be nice because he gives you a left-handed bat, which is a need in this White Sox lineup that is right-handed heavy. Another guy would be Anthony Santander. Mm -hmm. However, you would have to go through the trade market to acquire him. 
Baltimore has a ton of prospects, particularly in the outfield, that are on the verge of being major league ready. He's a guy that could be very expendable for them. Another guy would look at is Cedric Mullins. He would give you a guy that you could slot either in left field or right field or, or center field, which is his main position. I think the White Sox are in a position where they have an assortment of options. The only question is, is who are they going to trade for? They've made it rather clear mm -hmm. and obvious that they're not going to seek to spend enormous money in an effort to rectify issues and address needs to the roster. And I know that that rubs the fan base the wrong way. And even me to a certain degree, especially when you have a big market franchise in, in a division where they're nothing but small markets outside of the White Sox. So I I I see I see I I have a lot of questions, but at the same time, I'm just more so interested to see who they're gonna trade for. Because obviously they've let it be known that this is the way that they're gonna explore to make changes on their roster. And the majority of the core will be back. So I do think that fans have to have a realistic expectation at some point that they're not going to do what we might want them to do as fans. Yeah, that's true. And I think uh, the trades are just the, like the trading is the way to go. And especially because, you know, you guys have a lot of capital, trade capital. And I think a lot of the, the last couple of years, I understand, I do understand the like the hesitancy to like not trade, you know, some of those guys uh, like, the you know, I'm not saying to trade Oscar Colas or anything, but um, I, I get that. But then also I feel like the last couple of years, it's kind of been not necessarily a wake up call, but kind of to be like, yeah, we probably should, you know, at least consider trading these guys, some of these guys, because we're definitely not going to be able to sign a Machado or something like that to, to be a game changer. A trade might be, you know, necessary. So, yeah, that, that is true. And I think I do understand the frustration there because, I mean, coming from a Cubs fan, like, you know, not being able not, they they I, we know they can spend, uh, but they just don't, they haven't, you know, recently. I know this year that's they're, planning and you know, being different and we'll get to that but um definitely understand the frustration there from Sox fans because that's you know you want you you don't want to give up the guys that you have but you know you might have to uh Chris what, what do you think overall and, and what's going to happen and what do you think is going to happen and, and just uh, uh you know prognostication for the offseason uh, prognostication is about the same as what Gabe said there's there's guys that the Sox should spend on there's there's definitely guys that that they should put their money towards, and it would still be a good investment. Um, to draw a similar comparison, there's a guy that I watch on YouTube. I'm sure you guys know him. I won't say his name necessarily, but he was talking about when the Bears traded, uh, when the Raiders traded Khalil Mack to the Bears, it looked like they got equivalent value back in terms of the picks and what they were trying to do. But a player at his position, at his skill, was so effective to their plans, any team's plans, that there is pretty much no value that you could get back for him that would equate for him. And that's really what Aaron Judge is on the market right now. No mm -hmm. matter how much you pay for him, unless something catastrophic happens, he's going to give you back your money and more just by virtue of the fact that this six foot seven dude is going to fill seats. You can build around him. You can put marketing schemes around him. And if the White Sox want to win, I don't think that's going to rub anybody who's been the face of the franchise or faces of the franchise the wrong way in terms of who's getting the shine. Mm -hmm. So you should put money towards Aaron Judge. There's also a glut of guys at right field who could help you win now. Adam Duvall is out there. Mitch Hanniger is somebody that Sox fans have, have had their sights on for a while just because of his value is relatively lower, I think, other than a guy like Adam Duvall. And he's played in an out-of-the-way place in Seattle and put up good numbers for them. Uh, but the trade market is tough for me. I know that that was probably where they're going to go. It's tough because you have to get youth back, I think. And it's hard to get effective youth back, I think, right now. I looked at their minor league system. And other than Colas and uh, what we saw last year from Davis Martin, it's not really that inspiring. I mean, the guys that they have, I think, if they're ready to fill needs that they have, are still more than a few seasons away. And even a guy like Gavin Sheets or, or Andrew Vaughn, you know, what are they going to get? What are they going to get back? 
I think is the question. That's the main, that's the main problem for me in terms of, of making a trade. Also, this is why I never play GM mode on any sports franchise game that I ever play, because I do not know about these things in terms of like, okay, how could you manipulate this? But right field, I think is the need that they have to fill because you put, um, you put a lawyer in DH, you bring Colas up at latest in June, and then you still have a right fielder. So do you get a guy like Robbie Grossman, who's going to be just a one-year placeholder? Or, like I think, do you swing for a three-year, four-year deal for a guy like Duval Hanniger? Or do you break the bank on Judge? I would go with either of the latter two before making a trade. Yeah, uh, do you want, yeah go ahead. Go ahead go. Yeah, I, I, I would as well. I mean, Aaron Judge, I, I would love to see it, but it just feels like a pipe dream to me. I think everybody mm-hmm. wants to see that on the south side. Uh, if, if you don't, I think you're crazy. Because that's a guy that can literally carry your offense for a month plus, you know, if guys aren't playing as they're projected to. But Cody Bellinger is a guy that I would also look at as an option. Here's a that. guy who, mm-hmm. you know, even though he's had hot and cold stretches off and on, when he's hot, he's hot. And he's also a left-handed bat that you can plug in in any position in the outfield, as well as at first base on days in which, you know, Andrew Vaughn needs a day off or Jose Abreu should the White Sox decide to bring him back because they've been reportedly linked to Sean Murphy or have at least inquired upon him. If that happens, I'm pretty sure Oakland is going to want Andrew Vaughn in return Mm. for that deal. The White Sox and the A's discussed the possibility of a trade for Frankie Montes prior to him being traded to New York prior to the deadline last season. And they've always wanted Vaughn. He's a, a native of the Bay Area, just outside of that area. So that's a guy that they would want, as well as probably a couple of the prospects. But if you make that move, you don't have a first baseman unless if you've already agreed to a deal verbally with Jose Abreu. Like in that case, I would assume Abreu's coming back. It's a lot of questions. And I think the first line of decision-making has to be for the White Sox front office is what are we doing with Jose Abreu? Are we really going to keep him or we're not? I don't believe that they are. But if they do decide to keep him, then that means that Andrew Vaughn or Eloy Jimenez has to go. I'm not at a camp that Eloy Jimenez has to go. I don't think if you trade, or I think if you trade him right now, his value isn't as high. Like you mm-hmm. said, Saul, the White Sox have pieces that they could trade. Yes, they do, but there are only a few that they could get significant value for. If they tried to trade Yohan Moncada right now, they would be selling low, and they would not They would be trading him for pennies on a dollar. Yasmani Grandal mm-hmm. is not going to be wanted by anyone after the lackluster season that he had and being owed $18 million. They got a lot of, they got a lot of decisions that they got to make in-house and, and figure out. And if you're going to make acquisitions via trade, you better make sure that you hit on the one yeah. thing. So uh, one thing, last thing for me, uh, so I think if if Oakland is that, and I, I heard the Sean Murphy rumors, Oakland's in a position right now where you could really stick it to them, which hurts me because I hate what's going on in Oakland with all their sports franchises, the teams that have left, the teams that are still there now, which I'm pretty sure is just the A's at this point. Yep. I don't think they're sticking around. As much as anything that they do, I'm pretty sure the fans out there, they're smart, they'd see it is just like, okay, we're trying to kind of give you this like idea that we're going to stay by getting a homegrown product. So if they want Vaughn, get everything you can for them. Clear them, clean them out because they're already trying to leave town anyway. So if you can get Murphy, get as much as you possibly can. Um, if they want Vaughn, say we're going to, we need all your draft picks. We, we need everybody you got. Because if that's what you want, you know, we know that you're going to uh, Las Vegas or, or wherever in the next few years. Yeah, and, and I think that that is – no, the Sean Murphy thing, when I saw that, um, I was like, damn, that's – I mean, that would be a, a great get for the Sox. And I knowing the knowing the A's, I don't necessarily think it costs that much to get him the way they're at right now. And, and I do believe they are gone sooner rather than later, um, which sucks because, I, look, I, I think that – I think not, I wouldn't say 100% it's because of Moneyball that they hold a special place in my heart. But I think it's uh, it's really just because in the, you know, they were still, they were pretty relevant in like the 2000s, you know, 
and seeing that like run that they had, like for example, like in 06, they were in the ALCS, you know, like that was like my first postseason. So seeing that and like, I don't know, they, they, it, it, I feel bad for them and their fans, but it's just, they're, I mean, their owners are just, I mean, it's, it, it's a whole, it's like, we can do a whole podcast on that. Let's it's put it that way. Av- avaricious. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's insane. Anyways, one Miles. Thing, oh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Get my bad. One, one thing I will say about Oakland, though, when they make trades with the White Sox, Oakland typically always wins. Last That's time true. they made a trade, last time they made a trade, it involved Jeff Shamarja, who came from the White Sox in exchange for Marcus Simeon. Okay. And we, as oh, we man. know, Marcus Simeon became an all star in Oakland, went on to Toronto, had a, a, a great <laughs> year, and is now getting big time money in Texas, reaping the benefits of his success. You know, the White Sox. Also yeah. gave a bill Gonzalez in the Knicks wish trade. So that, you have to be very Damn. careful doing deals with Oakland. Why? Why Oakland knows how up? to get prospects. <laughs> <laughs> I, I move that we never speak Jeff Samarge's name on this podcast ever again. <laughs> I will I will fight that dude in the street if I see him. And y'all can y'all can bring up the receipts on that. If I ever see Jeff Samarge in the street and I don't fight him, y'all have free reign to roast the fuck out of me on this podcast, bro. <laughs> hey, hey, Chris! If, if it makes you feel better, I mean, we we the Cubs got him for you in the in the uh, 2016 playoffs. That don't even that don't even make me feel better. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, "It's in your honor, Chris." Like, no, okay, sorry. Uh, uh, My, Miles, what do you think about the White Sox offseason? Like, what do you what do you expect them to do uh, in the offseason this year? Yeah, you know, I think I think uh, you know, Gabe and Chris have hit a lot of things on right on the head. Um, there's one thing I do love about this Sox team is that I feel like they do have so many great pieces really to work with. Um, a lot of good guys that they could potentially move, a lot of good guys that they could potentially keep. Um, I really do, you know, I really do still like the position the White Sox are in. This isn't a team that has to hit the panic button or anything. Um, I think they made great moves in terms of leadership, you know, the new managerial role. You know, <laughs> I would definitely love to see, you know, a little more support in the outfield. Um, and, you know, kind of what Gabe has been talking about, a left-handed bat would be incredible for them. And I think Cody Bellinger would actually fit very well with this team at some point. Um, I, for me, if I'm a Sox fan, I think that's very enticing. Uh, I think that he would fit that that ball club very, very well. Um, and there's just there's just so much, there's just so much for the Sox to really work with here. Um, and that's where that's where I'm feeling like, you know, when it comes to, you know, arms, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not overly impressed, but I do think the White Sox are very, you know, very talented when it comes to arms in the bullpen. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's definitely a lot of, a lot of aspects that the White Sox can build off of. Um, but I do, I, me personally, I feel like there may be two or three moves away from just, from being just fine. Um, that's how I feel because I still believe that this ball club is very deep, but I don't think that they need significant changes in order to turn it around just because I think this team is, they're, they're freaking dope, man. They're, they're right there. The Sox are right there. Um, and I think they've already taken those necessary steps. I was just, you know, I think I make, make like two, three key moves here and there and they'll be just fine. And it, yeah, that's it's the good thing about the White Sox, right? Is that like they're in a position where they don't need an overhaul obviously they don't need anything crazy like they just need some tinkering as well as like you yeah. know better managing um yeah. and i think they'll yeah they'll be fine that's why and, and yeah. the thing is that, that that despite you know the we all know the the guardians are good uh they they right. we know they can make right but at the same time i i think if the white Sox are you know with the team they have if they're rolling on all cylinders and able to you know add to what they have uh yeah. they they could challenge cleveland all day so yeah, I'm still I'm still taking the White Sox over the Guardians. I really yeah. am. I think I just think the White Sox are a better team. Yeah, no, it's gonna be it's gonna be a really fascinating race next year. Uh, knowing that you know, because I don't think a lot of people took like outside of the AL Central took the Cleveland seriously like that. So I think it's gonna be cool to now see people like taking Cleveland into account and how they yeah. will take you know battle for the Sox, uh, battle for the Central against the Sox. Uh, kind of moving on now to the north side of Chicago, uh, to the Chicago Cubs. And, you know, their offseason, they need major changes, right? So they're going to add – they're looking to add, or at least to what the front office is saying, looking to add uh, big names, uh, whether it be from the pitching perspective or the shortstop. It looks like they're more um, inclined to add a shortstop, uh, whether it be, you know, Trey Turner, Carlos Correa, 
uh, uh, Dansby Swanson, stuff like that. They've been in contact, you know, according to, to many reporters with those guys. And honestly, I, I don't necessarily, I'm not going to get my, my hopes really high about, you know, that, you know, them getting like a Carlos Correa or anything like that, as much as it seems, you know, they're, I guess, I think I'm pretty sure I saw that they're the favorite in Vegas to land Carlos Correa. Um, but again, I'm not going to get my, my hopes too high just because I, I really thought, for example, that the, there was a, you know, the Cubs, uh, raised trade yesterday. Uh, there was like a little bit of, a little bit of chatter of, of whether that, you know, they're going to sell their, you know, the Rays were going to sell pitching. And then it comes out that the Cubs like just traded for, and I get it. It has to do like with rule five stuff, but the Cubs acquired an infielder and outfielder, uh, miles master Boni, uh, from the Rays for a minor league right-hander, uh, Alfredo Zariga. Uh, so, but like, I was a little, I was a little hyped that like, maybe, you know, they'd go out there and get like a glass now or something like that. Uh, you know, yeah. because he, because they, because the, the Cubs, I think it was the Cubs, Mets and Reds, um, contacted the Rays about glass or was it just the pitching in general, but one of those things, but they're selling their pitching. The Rays are so, um, yeah. hopefully the Cubs are, you know, in talks with that again, because that would be, uh, and me and Gabe talked a little bit about, you know, before his, his, uh, big recording of his podcast open run, which you could watch, you know, the new episode is out today is, uh, you know, that would be an, that would be an, a, a interesting get for the Cubs, but it's also a guy that, you know, again, we could probably talk about for a while because he's, you know, had a lot of injuries and, and all that. But, yeah. you know, when he's, when he's on, when he pitches, he's, you know, one of the best arms in the American league, let alone baseball. He's, he's that good. So, um, but there's, yeah, there's plenty of options for the Cubs that they could get, whether it be from trades or whether it be from signing. But for me, I would say it's gotta be Carlos Correa that they get if they get anyone. Um, yeah. Yeah. because I just think that he fits so well and, and, and it, it's all coming together. I feel like, because I feel like the media and everyone else that people that, you know, they, they have, you know, an ear to the ground there is, you know, they, they're starting to, they're starting to kind of, you know, assume that this is going to happen. I, I know I saw uh, JP Morosi kind of talk about how, how good of a fit they are. Ken Rosenthal is like, you know, as, as well. And, and look, I know that he doesn't want a long deal. Uh, but I think that, I think that the Cubs are going to try to get it shorter, maybe like five years, but he, I, I know, I know apparently he wants like a seven or, or eight year deal, which I mean is, is understandable. Uh, but I do think that, you know, the Cubs are going to try to push for less. Um, also, uh, the Cubs are also in the market for uh, a pitching, but not, they haven't been really, at least to what I've seen, haven't really been, uh, you know, talked about with big names like DeGrom or whatever, but right. uh, they've been uh, in, they've ever since, even before the, se the season ended, actually, they've been, uh, in talks with uh, a Japanese starting pitcher, Kodai Senga. Yep. And so that's another guy that I think uh, wouldn't cost as much as a guy like, you know, Rodon or something like that, but it would be very complimentary to this team. And not only that, but uh, already Seiya Suzuki has been talking up the Cubs. So that's also helped. He's, you know, and uh, so I really hope that, that the Cubs are able to get a big name, you know, shortstop, whether it's Trey Turner, whether it's Correa, something like that. Um, and then able to complement it with some pitching, with some pitching help there. Um, there's plenty of options. They got, they got plenty, plenty of routes to go. I don't necessarily know, you know, if they're going to pull out all the stops, but they should. Um, well, we'll start with you, Miles. Uh, what are your overall thoughts? What do you think is going to, is going to happen? What do you think they need uh, this off season? Yeah. So it's interesting with the Cubs because we have certain pieces that we're able to build around right now. Um, you know, I look at Hap, I look at Morel, um, I look at Suzuki, uh, Madrigal, Horner. There's a lot of players that I could think of that we can build around right now. Um, I think starting off is addressing what we want to do at first base. Um, res respectfully, Alfonso Rivas is not the answer. Um, we also have a very, play very talented player by the name of Matt Mervis coming up. So, but I know that he could get moved to the outfield as well. But then the outfield's kind of backed up, and this is a player who you want to play every day. So I think that's where that gets kind of tricky. Um, I don't think I don't think Patrick Wisdom is going to be sticking around much longer either. I think that's another piece that we're going to see go within the next year or so. Um, and yeah, when it come when it comes to the arms, there's so many there's so many options that I can see the Cubs going with. And me personally, I think something that's not being talked about too much is I'd like to see Taiwan Walker on the Cubs. I think that he'd be a good fit in that rotation, kind of bolstering, adding to the innings um, thrown. 
we have such a young a young bullpen that clearly they are they're developing more and they want these guys to throw more innings. And I think that they're actually developing that bullpen very well when I look at the second half of last season. Um, so you know, I think in terms in terms of you know arms that I could that I could see added, I think Tywin Walker is someone who isn't hasn't been talked about a lot, but I could see him actually being a great fit for the Cubs. Um, possibly Nathan Avaldi, but I know that might be a little bit of a stretch. Um, there's so many ways the Cubs the Cubs can go. Uh, I I really like where we're at in terms of defensive metrics. I like where we're at where we're at in the outfield. And kind of like I alluded to earlier, um, we got to address you know first base. We also got to address the catcher position now. Um, I don't I don't see any reason why Wilson would would come back. Me personally, I don't want him to. I want to kind of like we talked about last week. I think go somewhere where you're gonna. A, get your money. B, where you feel welcome. Clearly, clearly there's a team out there for Wilson. Um, so I would love to see him with that team. Just like I didn't want to see Rizzo come back. Um, because that'd be kind of like a weird reunion after it's like it's like a it's like a reunion after like a really weird breakup, and then the person been through that before. And you know, I think <laughs> I think, you know, that with, with the amount of catchers that are available, um, the Cubs can really, you know, they can really make some moves. Um, Gary Sanchez is probably a stretch as well. Uh, but, you know, I don't think Miguel Amaya, who's in our system, I don't think he's ready. Um, part of me feels like he's not going to be ready for some time either. So there's that, there's, uh, there's a couple of key positions that the Cubs need to address. But kind of like you said earlier, it's coming together slowly, but we're not there yet. We may be able to compete next year, but we're not going to be at the point where we're going to raise eyebrows just yet. If we, if we are able to bring in Correa, that's a huge difference maker. But then we also have to address the other aspects, um, you know, of that lineup to kind of support him as well. Offensively, Happen, Suzuki, and Morel, they're going to do their jobs. Patrick Wisdom is going to strike out 200 times probably, but he'll probably pop 25 over the wall. Um, that's if we decide to keep him around. Um, so the Cubs are in an interesting position where we, you know, we kind of got to figure out who do you want to continue to bring along this train in order to have the success in the future. There's a lot of referencing going on, going on right now to, to 2016. I remember that was happening last year a lot. Um, this is this is a different different ball club. This, this team is ran a little bit differently. Um, so I, I'm hoping I'm hoping not too many Cubs fans are comparing this group to the 2016 group because the style of how Jed Hoyer and Theo Epstein are going about things are a little bit different. Um, so, you know, Cubs have some pieces to pick up, but we're, we're, we're right there. We're not there yet, but we're, we're on the cusp of, you know, raising some eyeballs just a little. Yeah. And I think also uh, one thing I forgot to mention too, is besides the first baseman thing or the, or the thing in general, but uh, obviously, you know, you guys have heard that by now that uh, one of the top guys that the Cubs want to get uh, besides a guy like Carlos Correa, uh, is is Jose Abreu, yeah, and they, they they're in, very interested in, in getting him. So that would be a great addition as well. Uh, you know, as like a kind of a placeholder for if Matt Mervis is you know going to be the guy soon. Yeah. Um, and you know, with Abreu playing the way he's playing in his age, I mean, that'd be a great ad and yeah. a complimentary piece. If they are to get a big you know big name, uh, they could still get him and uh, and still you know work around that. But I want to get your uh, your guys' opinion. Uh, we'll start with you, Chris. Uh, what do you think overall on, on the Cubs offseason, and who do you expect that, they, that they'll actually get? I appreciate Miles for putting those names out there um, because even in my research, I wasn't able to find um, everybody that he talked about. Um, and it's interesting, right? Because I looked up Revis's defensive numbers, and they were very good. Yeah. But from the the from the the you know what I've seen of him on TV. He's not a you, you need a hitter at first base. You need a guy with a with a good stick, especially in power. And he's not really been that guy. I was kind of surprised that they're looking at shortstop because I know you can upgrade over Horner, mm -hmm. but I think he's a guy that you could still build with, even if he's not a centerpiece. Um, if you move him to second base, then you can then you can free yourself of Nick Madrigal. Uh, but I was still a little surprised, even though those guys are on the market. When you've got Swanson and Correa on the market. Yeah. especially with with the with the pockets that we know the Ricketts have you go after those guys for sure but I was I was still a little surprised I was trying to think of a good comparison for this and uh, the closest I could come up with chess and it's this like middle game part which is mm -hmm. really key when you're trying to position your pieces and figure out the future uh, around you because I think 
in the way that sports is, not just baseball. You're trying to get yourself in the best position, not only to where you get the best that you can out of your organization, but when other organizations might be kind of on the downswing, so you have fewer teams to compete with come playoff time. And I'm not sure exactly where that is for the Cubs right now, mostly because the Phillies have Dombrowski, so they're going to be spending. Um, Milwaukee is not treading water, but they're still in contention. St. Louis is always there. It's, it's a weird, it's a, everything has to be right. I think that's yeah. why I, I like what Miles said, everything has to be very precise and that's the trouble part. So it's like, do you have holdover guys? Um, do you get, like, I, I like Gene Segura being out there. I think he's a guy that could definitely help and he's still fairly young. That's a guy you could lock up for three, four years and he would make an impact like he did for the Phillies this year. He's always been a quality piece on a contending team, but is he a guy that you put salary towards depending on who you have in, in the pipeline? It's, it's weird for me to say, because I think the Cubs have, have guys who could hang on their major league roster and just coming up, but it's, it'd be easy to move one or more of those guys and get somebody potentially better but it, it has to be right. I think that's mm-hmm. the tough part. And that's the tough part for me because I can't, I can't see that far into the future. Yeah, no, the, the, yeah. And, and also with the shortstop thing is, is I was surprised too, you know, honestly, when, when they, when they first started talking about it, but I think the more I hear about it and the more that I hear their reasoning, it kind of makes sense. I mean, they want an elite uh, infield, you know, they want elite defense and they want it around the, yeah. around the infield and they want, a shortstop and a second baseman, you know, with Gold Glove caliber defense. And I think that, you know, with uh, Horner going over to second and let's say they get a Correa at shortstop, I mean, that, that just makes it, you know, that, you know, an amazing, you know, middle infield, but also like the, the way that uh, Nico Horner, his offense, like I, I I'm not necessarily, I, I don't necessarily bank on him to like, you know, be on the Cubs for a very long time compared to other guys, you know, that they're looking at. Um, as much as it, it it has improved, um, I think that just you know banking on his defense uh, at short, which I was for a little bit, I was like, man, you know, he is a guy. I was like, man, you know, his defense is elite, blah blah this. But I was like, you know what? If if it means getting Korea and moving over uh, Nico Horner to second, it's gonna be worth it, in my opinion. But uh, we'll go over to you, Gabe. What do you think overall um, on on the Cubs' plans this offseason? I think they're in the right place. I think they started off fairly well. You know, they're talking to the agents of big-time players that's a part of the free agency class for a team that's on the rise in the wake of what transpired in 2021. I think they're in a good place. But the most glaring needs that I see that need to be filled starts with that bullpen. See a lot of right-handed arms, don't see a lot of left. The reunion with Andrew Schaefer and be, you know, on the horizon. That would be a guy that could help you in that department. Brad Hand as well. He came in a relatively cheap contract for Philadelphia. I think he was only making six million, but was a was a vital arm in that bullpen for them. That would be a guy that you might want to pay a little bit for in the effort to bolster that bullpen up to top flight status. Keegan Thompson is a guy that I believe will be in that bullpen next season. I think Brandon Hughes was, was solid as well for them, but they got to add on that end and getting some left-handed arms could help that. First base, that's a big priority, as Miles alluded to. You definitely want to handle that position. They were like 627 OPS as a group, and that's 27 in all of baseball. Josh Bell will be a nice add for them. I know San Diego's probably going to see you going in a different direction. If you could get him a switch hitter with some power, in that ballpark in Wrigley, where you where the ball flies on a windy day, he could he could benefit from that. You also got to show up that catcher spot. Don Gomes was great for those young pitchers in regards to managing the staff, but he didn't really give you too much offensively. He's turning thirty six, I think, going into next season. Yeah. You want to get younger at that position, and you want to get some offensive production at that position, because I don't see Wilson Contreras walking through that door again on Addison and Clark in the home dugout. So Sean Murphy would be a guy. We just talked about him earlier being an option for the Sox. I, I think he's a more realistic option for the Cubs, and I'll tell you why. The Cubs have a richer load of prospects that they can choose from to make a deal with Oakland, which is what Oakland's going to be looking for. 
another guy who could be on the move is Danny Jansen out of Toronto. Toronto has not hit it at all throughout the GM winter meetings that they're going to be seeking to flip one of their catches. And they're going to try and shed payroll in an effort to acquire needs to ensure if they're both in and to get a left-handed bat in the outfield as they've been recently linked to Brandon Nimmo. So Danny Jans will be a guy. Alejandro Kirk could be a guy. They also have a prospect that's a, a, a catcher who they might be seeking to bring up to the ball club sooner rather than later in 2023. And frontline starting pitching, that's something that has to be addressed. I know that they will link Carlos Rodon. Carlos Rodon is going to command a lot of interest on the market. You might want to look at a guy like Chris Bassett, even though I believe the White Sox would be looking at him as well. That would be a guy that you might want to consider. He may not be a top-of-the-line guy, but he's always been healthy, and he's always been productive for the most part in his starts. He gives you a chance to win ball games. You need that. And last but not least, when I look at this Cubs roster, I don't see a face of the franchise. You have $92.5 million committed to your payroll going into 2023. It drops to barely over $50 million in 2024. Everybody's talking about Carlos Correa, and rightfully so. And if the Cubs can get him, go after him. But there's another free agent, too, if you strike out on Carlos Correa, that is available, and he comes from Boston, and that's Xander Bogarts. If you're seeking to shore up that shortstop position, you have a ton of options this year in, in, in the free agency market with Swanson, as we named, Trey Turner, Carlos Correa. But Xander Bogarts, I think, is becoming forgotten about. And if the Cubs can find a way to possibly entice him and get him on a reasonable contract, why not do it? Yeah, I think, and that was one thing I was going to say, too, was that when I look at the shortstop, you know, the shorts, the group of shortstops that are free agents. Um, I, I was looking at Bogarts and I think he probably finishes third and we're out where like the, you know, in the rankings of who, who I want in, in, uh, and I think, obviously I think the number one guy for a lot of people would be Trey Turner and just the way he, you know, plays the game and, you know, he's fast and all that. But I just like the leadership of Carlos Correa. I think that's why I, I would probably put Correa, you know, uh, why he would probably jump Trey Turner is just because of the fact that, you know, the type of leader he is, the, the attitude he brings. Um, a lot of people don't like that. But, you know, in, in my case, I feel like he would thrive at Wrigley, for example, especially. He can, it kind of gives me like a kind of like uh, Wilson Contreras, which unfortunately, you know, he's not going to probably be with us anymore. But we need a guy like that, like a fiery guy like that. Um, so, I mean, I think every team does. So, um, uh, but I will say also, that when it comes to uh, the guys that the Cubs are looking at, I keep seeing that the White Sox are also looking at those guys. I think it's, I think it's funny. Like, you know, you mentioned Bellinger. Cubs are looking at Bellinger. Um, even Kevin Kiermeyer too, uh, is a guy that, you know, both teams could use. That's a, you have a very experienced outfielder. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. And, and Chris Bassett, I mean, I've heard um, – that, that's one guy I forgot to mention too is Chris Bassett. I've heard some, you know, some people say even that, that – um, he's definitely going to be on the Cubs radar and there's a good chance to get him. And I do want, I do like a guy like that too, because it's not a guy that probably will demand a lot of money, but he is, he is actually one of the most solid pitchers in baseball. Um, and so, and, and to what he, what he did with the Mets this year, I mean, also just, you know, to build off last year and, and all that he did well. So that's something, somebody I would definitely want on my team. Um, so yeah, hopefully they, they, they're able to do that and more. Um, but like I said, I probably won't get my, my hopes very high because of the, the way this, weird ownership does things and you know I, I see the thing is i trust jed hoyer i just don't know if i trust you know the rickets so it's like i mean that's obviously you've heard that you know for the last couple of years so much so um it'll be you know something to watch out for for sure um kind of want to move on now from the oh did you want to say something chris yeah just just one quick thing um sure. i don't i don't know how many people and i want to look directly on the camera when i say this i i know that there's friends of mine and people who i don't know who say that White Sox fans spend a lot of time thinking about Cubs fans and vice versa. I want everybody to pull their heads out of their asses and understand that these two teams are competing in the same markets. So the, just by the fact of virtue of what we talked about, but the both, both teams are looking at similar players and trying to execute, I think, similar things. They're trying to get a share of the city market. They want to be competitive with each other, but they're trying to get a share of three plus million, 10 plus million people in this marketplace. So anybody that tells you that the Cubs and White Sox are not rivals is either lying or ill-informed. 
I just wanted to put that out there now that I have a platform and can be seen as 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 definitive in this space. So if anybody ever questions that again, or writes into the show and says, "Oh, the Cubs and White Sox aren't rivals," you don't you don't get it. I just I, I, just, I needed to put that out there. It, it, it's it is personal true. out here, man. It's, it's personal. It, it has to be. That's yeah, the yeah. one thing I've understood in the business side of this forever. And I don't, I'm not a good business person, but I've always understood that this is a business and these two teams are competing businesses. Yeah. And, and that's the thing too. Like the Cubs and White Sox are perfect rivals. If you look at it, because when it comes to winning, there hasn't been a lot either way. Right. And I think that a lot of people nowadays will look at a rivalry. Now, I, I don't know if you guys disagree with this, but a lot of people like, for example, besides them not liking each other, the Bears and Packers, there's not much really competitive there, right? It's always it's been the Packers for a while dominating them, right? So at least recently, I should say, I'm not going to sit here and say that, you know, we dominated them in the 60s. I don't know what's going on. Like, I don't know the, all the way back there. But like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but recently, there's it hasn't been a rivalry. And you look at the, the, the also, um, you know, just how many times is like Rodgers has beat the Bears. And a lot of people are like, oh, like, it's not really a rivalry. I get that too, because a rivalry has to be kind of even in the sense of winning and, lo- winning and losing. But I mean, I, you know, I don't know what you guys think about that, but that's, a, you know, that's one thing I always think about too, with, with, when it comes to the Cubs and White Sox is that, you know, these guys are, you know, they're fighting tooth and nail to be like the best team in Chicago. And, and it kind of, and it, it, it kind of always, I mean, I will say this with the Crosstown showdown with the Crosstown, you know, classic White Sox have had, you know, they've won that trophy more than the Cubs in the, in the recent, in the recent, uh, uh, the last few years and stuff like that. But, you know, it's, it's definitely, a. Uh, a conversation we could have as well when it comes to what is a rivalry and what is not. Um, but we'll uh, now move on to uh, the rest of the moves that happened over the last couple of days. Um, and, and we'll just go over them and then see what you guys think about it. So like, you know, Tyler Anderson signed with the Los Angeles angels. Um, and, you know, he had a great season with the Dodgers. So it's good to see that, you know, he found another team and, um, and the angels, angels always need pitching, obviously. Uh, and then Anthony Rizzo returned to the Yankees, uh, which, uh, on the deal that he went there with in two years, uh, I believe is $34 million. Um, I thought they got him on, they got him on the low. Like that was, that's a great deal for the, for the Yankees. Um, and then also this morning news broke that, uh, it was reported, uh, that, uh, Oscar Hernandez has been traded to the Seattle Mariners, uh, from the Toronto Blue Jays. And that's a giant deal, I think, because, uh, first of all, he's not, not only, you know, he's a great player, but he's an all-star. So, um, and the Mariners are just getting better. Uh, so that's, you know, that, that was probably one of the main things I wanted to talk about today, but we'll, we'll go around miles. What did you think about these deals? Like Tyler Anderson, Rizzo, all that, what has stood out to you in the last few days, uh, from those deals? I think the Teoscar deal was, um, I, I guess, cause it's the most recent, that one sticks out mm-hmm. to me. Um, but I think Rizzo going back to the Yankees kind of shows that uh, to a certain extent, and, you know, kind of like you said earlier, I think, I think his deal was kind of a steal. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, I think that move alone kind of shows, you know, I think he's buying in a little bit to what the Yankees are, are kind of restructuring over there. Um, I, th- I think, I think he does trust Boone. I know that has a lot to do with, you know, certain players going back and, you know, fans see one thing, but that player to that player to coach interaction is something that no one really ever sees behind closed doors. Um, I mean, I think that's cool. I think that's 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 cool for New York to have, you know, quite a quite a cool guy over there that we're pretty familiar with here in Chicago. Uh, I think Rizzo's a great fit. I think he's a great fit for the Yankees. Um, makes my eyes want to bleed still that I see him in a Yankees jersey, but that's nowhere here or there. I'll I. Side note, I will never get used to that. He could have gone to any team. I won't get started. Bro, but, get, you know, mad, I think, uh, get mad about it. I can't be the only one who's out here ranting. Come on, man. You've been playing it too cool. Get mad, hey, bro. Chris, I was, about to, I was about to let it rip just now. I was about to go on a, a whole different hey, look, direction. If you want to see – hey, if you, Chris, if you want to see Miles go off, uh, just watch the episode – just watch the episode, the, the All-Star episode where Freddie Freeman didn't make it to the All-Star oh. team. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go back and watch that. 
You would have thought almost, you would have. I almost broke my desktop. <laughs> <laughs> I'm tired you, of this. I'm tired you, of this disrespect <laughs> me, MLP. We're gonna stop playing. You you would have you would have thought Miles was Freddie Freeman's dad, like you know, yeah, like he didn't make it to the All Star team, but he made yeah. it. And then you and then that episode, the next episode, we were very happy. So yeah, that's uh, hilarious. What, uh, what, what, what do you think about these deals, Chris? Yeah, the Teoscar Hernandez, I think that really shows that uh, Seattle's serious and also that um, Toronto is in a place where they're cha- not changing direction, but they realize that what, what we all thought was the second coming of greatness from the, you know, the second generation of superstars hasn't turned out the way that they wanted. And so I think that's the most, not, not telling deal, but the deal that shows um, the most of, of certain teams' hands. Like Seattle's looking to add, they're looking to shore up. Toronto's looking to kind of change their direction. Like, I mean, you already, we already talked about Jansen and, and Kirk being on the market surprised me just with, the, with what a revelation he was for them in the batting order. Uh, but the Rizzo deal, I don't know if it's, if it's as, I mean, you expect the one thing that's constant in our lives is sports fans. Uh, the Yankees will spend money and they're, they're willing to get bread out there, even if it's a relatively team friendly deal to bring a guy back who's still young, who's still going to take walks, who's still going to get hits in that short little league porch and right field. Um, they're willing to bring that guy back. That, that I don't think that's a real surprise. Uh, Martin Perez and Tyler Anderson, I think, and just not surprising deals, not big, you know, big headline grabbing deals, but those are interesting because I think you want to keep an eye on in this climate, starting pitchers who have good years specifically, and then get the qualifying offer, kind of like Rodon did with the White Sox. I always like to keep an eye on those guys and see if they can keep it going. Not for anything, you know, baseball, uh, money-wise related. I just want to see if those guys make it, honestly, because uh, Martin Perez, especially even even in Texas, no matter what ballpark they're playing in with the Rangers outside of those years that they were World Series contenders, pitchers have not made it well in Texas. And I'm hoping that Perez has a good, you know, year this year and then see what comes up next year for him. Same with Anderson, you know, he had a decent start to his career in Colorado and then kind of foundered until last year when he found it. So I just want to keep an eye on those guys and see if they make it really. Go ahead, Gabe. When I look at all the moves that happened, the one that caught my eyes the most was Teoscar Hernandez. Because that was a guy who just reading a lot of reports out of Toronto, I figured would get moved. Blue Jays never hid the fact that they were seeking to acquire a left-handed bat. They also had glaring needs in the bullpen. That was a guy that I wanted the White Sox to target. That was a guy that I thought the White Sox could have put together a very reasonable deal for, but Seattle finding a way to get him, that's a huge move because now you pair him in that outfield with Julio Rodriguez and you got two mashers joining the forces with one another in that AL West. They they are trying to show people that they are for real. In Toronto, I don't think it's necessarily a rebuild. They're just retooling their roster, trying to address areas of concern. As far as the Yankees acquiring Anthony Rizzo, getting him back on a two-year deal, yeah, they, they got a steal, but I don't think that the Yankees are done. I really believe that this move helps to boost their chances of retaining Aaron Judge. Mm-hmm because I know how close Anthony Rizzo and Aaron Judge are. Yeah. And they have not hit that from the public or anything. So I, I, I believe that they're going to seek to just bolster their roster around those two guys. And I, I don't believe that they're done. I, I wouldn't believe, I, I wouldn't be shocked either if the Yankees are in the running for Jacob DeGrom and getting him to join forces in that starting rotation with Gary Cole would get him one of the best one-two punches in the American League. I, I, I would not be shocked if they did that because I do see the Yankees seeking to spend money because of the fact that Hal Steinbrenner has been questioned by many people, including myself. You know, George Steinbrenner would have did things a different way. Mm-hmm. And you know he would have made it clear from day one what he intends to do. Hal is kind of on watch in the, around the eyes of in media figures in New York. He just recently even did an interview talking mm-hmm. about Aaron Boone and such. So I, I expect the Yankees to spend some money this offseason, especially with the way that they got knocked out of the American League Championship Series 
by their rival in the Houston Astros, which, you know, and that's just putting it kindly. You can honestly say that it hasn't been a rivalry because they've mm-hmm. gotten knocked out three out of the last four years by them. Yeah, I mean, that, that's it's they've definitely Astros have had their number and it's, it hasn't been. I mean, even this 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 series was not really close, honestly. So um, and, and you know, yeah, and there's a there's a, a giant disparity when it comes to talking about Hal and George, for sure. When you really look at what each of them say and like, you know, for example, like last I think it was yesterday, a couple of days ago, I saw that he said there was a quote that he said that, you know, that it's not an excuse, but the Astros made it to the postseason healthier than, than the Yankees did. And I'm just like, I don't really think I want. I don't think that's what Yankee fans want to hear, right? Like, no, they don't want to hear that. <laughs> so, especially, especially when they're so used to getting to the World Series. Yeah. Now, granted, they still have managed to hold a very good standard when it comes mm-hmm. to making the playoffs. They mm-hmm. they've been consistent in that area for yeah. the last 25 plus years. And yes, they have went on several deep runs. But this is also a team that has not won a championship in 13 years. And they've only won two championships in the last 22 years, if you count 2000. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, yeah, like they're not used to that. I'll be honest, as as a person that's 29, I'm not used to that because when I was a kid, the Yankees were in the World Series damn near every year. Mm -hmm. Derek Jeter and Joe Torrey. So I, I, I'm i interested to see what they do. I know Hal's an economist, so he's going to view things more from a, a, a money-like point of view than his father, who is basically like, hey, we all in. But when the, the, the fans are so used to success, yeah, they're going to they're gonna be picky with you. And they're going to – and they, and they have reason to be. They have reason to question Aaron Boone as well, who I believe is – entering the 2023 season on the hot seat he is on watch mm-hmm. yeah no it's going to be uh something to watch out for for sure this you know the, the, how they deal with Aaron Boone and uh how Aaron Boone reacts to that because he, yeah like you said he doesn't have a lot of time and uh Yankees are Yankee fans want to see a championship sooner rather than later you know 13 years for them is like 50 years <laughs> like for them you know Pretty so much, yeah so yeah, we'll see. Uh, but the one one last thing I wanted to talk about was uh, the awards that have been given out this week uh, so far. Uh, the American League and National League Rookie of the Year, as well as American League and National League Manager of the Year. Uh, with the Rookie of the Year, uh, Julio Rodriguez won it deservedly, uh, and then in the National League as well, you had Michael Harris uh, the second also won deservedly, and uh, that one was a little closer than the American League one. But you know, Michael Harris is a beast. You couldn't really there's no really wrong answer there. Uh, and then in the in the manager of the year uh, category, uh, Terry Francona for the Guardians, and then uh, Buck Showalter who won again. I believe that's his fourth um, manager of the year award, and he, and um, he won for the Mets this year. Just wanted to get your guys' general thoughts on that. I know, um, like I said, the the National League one was closer uh, with Brendan Donovan uh, and uh, Spencer Strider, um, and uh, with the American League, I thought it was clear cut. You know, Julio, Julio Rodriguez was going to win. So, I mean, the guy's you know is a beast. Um, but yeah, wanted to get you guys overall thoughts. Well, we'll start with you, Gabe. What did you think about these uh, these awards that were given out? And uh, did you think the right people won? I can't argue against who the writers selected, especially mm-hmm. when it comes to the Rookie of the Year awards. I believe Adley Rushman put up a great fight, mm-hmm. but Julio was on the more successful team. Yeah. He had numbers that backed up his case. I think he was I think he's one of only four rookies in the history of the game to hit 20 plus homers and capture 20 plus stolen bases or more in a single season during his rookie year. So that was impressive. Michael Harris was a guy that I considered to be the rookie of the year favorite as far back as June, even though Spencer Schreider did make a, a run to make it close, I, I felt like you could have went either or of those guys, but that Rookie mm-hmm. of the Year award was definitely going to be in Atlanta's clubhouse either way. As far as Manager of the Year, I I, I can't knock Terry Francona getting it to do what he was able to do with a $67 million payroll in the Guardians roster. And a roster that didn't have a lot of power 
to play as fundamentally sound as they did on defense and offense, putting pressure on opposing pitchers with their base running, it paid off significantly. And he did it in a way that you typically didn't see him do it previously with teams in Boston and so forth, and even those early teams in Cleveland. So I, I was impressed by that. Although one guy that I wish got a little bit more love in the manager of the year vote in the American League, and a guy that I probably would have voted for, even though Frank Conan's Guardians won a division with Brandon Hyde in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. I mean, who would have ever thought that the Baltimore Orioles would have won more games than not only the Chicago White Sox, but made a push to get one of those three wild card spots and be in the thick of the race in the dog days of the summer. I, I didn't expect that. And he got a lot out of that group and he deserves to really be lauded and applauded for it, especially when so many of us thought that this was going to be a team that was going to be out of it by June 1st. So I, I, I commend Brandon Hyde. And I think Rob Thompson from Philadelphia could have got a little bit more love in the National League Manager of the Year voting. I expected the Mets to make a jump up even before they hired Buck Showalter because of the moves that were being made. But I, I give Buck his credit, even though the year I think didn't end the way that most fans in Queensbridge would have wanted it to. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, he, you know, that team this year, you know, I definitely picked them to go way farther than they did. And I think uh, that was super disappointing for them. But I think that also their management, uh, their front office and all that, and as well as, you know, uh, Cohen, they're going to go in all in again this offseason, going to try to retain DeGrom and try to get other guys out there for sure. So it'll be, you know, another season to watch out for for the Mets next year. Uh, Chris, what did you think overall about these awards and and you think the right right guys were picked? Quality, yeah. It was mm-hmm. it was quality voting, which I think is is not often said about MLB voting, whether it's Hall of Fame balloting mm-hmm. or or in season awards. I thought they got it right. Julio Rodriguez was was a clear winner, and you know I was looking at it because I wanted to make sure if it was a thing where if, if Seattle had not made the playoffs and Baltimore had, would it be flipped? But I think Julio outpaced Adley in a lot of key offensive categories, and even though they're both playing prime defensive positions catcher i think catcher is is not as accurately rated defensively now in terms of just the basic metrics as it should be because of the way pitching has evolved but julio i think is a better defensive player even at a young age than adley rutschman is too so i was all good with that with with michael harris and spencer strider i think it's tough because of the fact again the pitching has changed if Spencer Strider was coming up in the early 2000s or even he might have had an edge on it just because he would have been pitching more. But Michael Harris contributed um, in a more rounded way to the to the Braves. And even though their postseason didn't go the way that they wanted to, surprisingly so, I think he was a, was a quality winner on the, on the Rookie of the Year award. And I'm excited because, not to get too far out of it, the the number of black American players has diminished so much in, in recent years that it's cool to have a rookie of the year in Atlanta. Well, in just outside Fulton County um, playing for that team in, in that space. So I want to see him do well in the future. Uh, Buck Showalter, as much as I'm not a huge Buck Showalter fan, winning four manager of the year awards with four different franchises is wild it's wild especially when you see some guys who come up and don't necessarily get the chance with four different teams to manage so i I can't say i can't say much more than that he's he won the award the mets did not collapse like we thought they would uh that's all you really need to say for me and then terry francona i would i would follow that guy to the moon and back i i don't need to talk about anything he does on the field I think that's just a guy that you go into a foxhole with every single time. Yeah, hundred percent. I with the Buck Showalter thing, I completely agree too. Is that I don't, I'm not sitting here and saying that you know he's one of the best managers out there, and you know he's obviously has a lot of experience, but he has made a lot of uh, questionable decisions over the years. And <laughs> uh, yeah, and the one that sticks out to me the most, if, if somebody wants an example, is leaving Zach Britton in the bullpen in that AO wild card game. Don't remind and, me of that. <laughs> it's one of those I remember, moments. I remember that game very well, even though right, I, it, 
Yeah, I love Toronto. I, I remember that very well. That was one of his biggest blunders. Yeah, and, like, it's one of those things where, like, you know something's bad when, like, it makes another fan base mad, even though it's not their team. Like, I'm just sitting there watching that game, and I'm like, I I was not really – I was I didn't really care who won that game. But once that happened, I was like, come on. Like, what? I mean, it just made no sense. But that's, again, you know, sorry for another day. But, Miles, uh, what did you think about the awards? And, uh, you know, what was your opinion on, on who won and all that? Really, I, I'm pretty I'm pretty satisfied all around. I, it, mm-hmm. It's almost like this was one of those – this is one of those votings where I really don't believe that there's a wrong answer. I think I think there are definitely certain players that deserved it more than others. But uh, when it comes to the rookie of the year, kind of like I said in the beginning of this year, I've just always, I've I've kind of I've followed Julio Rodriguez's uh, you know kind of journey up to the MLB, um, and his and his impact on this team, just emerging as a young leader, um, playing day in and day out the way you know as hard as he plays, with the passion that he plays, um, and how much of a likable guy he is. And what he does for the game of baseball, on top of having an incredible rookie campaign, yeah, for me, for me, it's just, it's just, you know, it's very deserving. It's extremely deserving, and, um, you know, I don't think, I don't think a better guy in the in the AL could have could have gotten that award in terms of rookie of the year. Um, and for Michael Harris, kind of going back to what Chris said, it's really cool to see some really good black representation right now. Um, for me, in in Atlanta, and then also in the MLB in general, there's really not a lot of black players that are that are currently active on a major league roster um so for to see this young man play incredible this year and in and, and, and uh, by the way i still feel like he has not been talked about enough this year i really do feel that way he has been he, he has been incredible this year. defensively he has been he, you know he's, he's been out of this world uh, offensively his maturity was something that i noticed his approach at the plate very uh, when I look at you know Julio Rodriguez and Michael Harris, I I it makes me feel good about where the where the future of the game is headed. Um, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of um, not negativity, but you know, feelings with certain rookies over the past years. You've seen guys kind of go in and out. Um, Jonathan India last year in the NL. You know, he had the injury, but when he came back, he also wasn't the same player that he was. That's okay. You know, the sophomore slump is a real thing. But I look at these two players, and I just, you know, I I don't see any reason why it doesn't go off from here. I really don't. Um, when it comes to the, you know, manager of the year, T- Tito, Tito's the man. I think it's amazing how he, how he, you know, really brought that Guardians group together in a division with the White Sox where people were, were pretty much kind of counting the Guardians out against the White Sox. So for him to bring that leadership and, you know, they didn't really add too many major pieces this year either. He kind of took that ball club and they ran with what they had. Um, and for the success that they did have, that was incredible. Um, Buck, I think, you know, Buck is an interesting, he's an interesting guy to me. I've always, I've always respected Buck, uh, but he's also made some moves over the years, kind of like you said, saw where I was like, Interesting why you did that. I disagree. Um, but I look the this the the campaign of uh 2022. I think he did great. I think he did great with his ball club. Really rocky finish to the season. Uh, you know, kind of Pete Alonzo talked about this uh when they got swept by the Cubs. That's when it really started to continue to go downhill. Uh, but there's only so much you can do as a manager. You can't go out there and play for your guys. You make the lineups, you put you put the pieces out there. And I think he did a very, very good job of that this year. Unfortunately, they were bounced from the wild card, but I think the their Mets are heading in a very good direction. Um, you saw Francisco Lindor have a really good bounce back here. Pete Alonso hit, hit great offensively. Brandon Nemo came out of uh, came into his own this year. So much to talk about with the Mets, and I think a lot of that has to do with Buck Showalter, just being the leader and knowing where to put guys properly. Um, the Mets are going to be just fine, in my opinion. This is one of the first years in my, and you know, I saw we talked about this in the beginning of the year. That's a ball club that has a lot of drama away from the field. This is one of the first seasons I've ever seen the Mets just have a good baseball season with Play nothing baseball. else going on behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. always been something, whether whether it is issues with players or or general managers being inappropriate, whatever the case may be. This is one of the first year where the Mets were just they just went out and they played baseball, and that shows you what kind of ball club that they can be. We just focus on 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 playing ball, so. I think it was very deserving all around. I, me personally, I'm very satisfied with all the decisions. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, 
that that is true, especially with you know with all the stuff that we've seen in the past with the Mets. Um, no doubt. Uh, Gabe, do you want to add something about uh Michael Harris? Yeah, I mean, I just find it kind of cool that a hometown guy who's from Georgia mm-hmm. managed to win the Rookie of the Year award for his hometown team, and then when you add in the fact that he's an African American player, and you also add in the fact that he makes now two out of the last three National League Rookie of the Year award winners that are of African-American descent. I think that's pretty cool, especially in a year where you didn't have a U.S.-born Black player Mm -hmm. in the World Series for the first time since 1950. So I I think that's pretty dope just all around. And it just goes to show how incredible – the Braves scouting department is because he wasn't even a first round draft pick and he came in and contributed right away. And without him, I don't believe that they go on a run to win the national league East, even though Buck Showalter Mets had a great year, the collapse of losing the NL East and losing a wild card the way that they did. That was a that was a tough ending. Not to take away from his manager of the year award. I think he was deserving of that in his mouth alluded to. The Mets had a hell of a year. And it was a drama-free, incredible season. But with that said, I just think what Michael Harris did is incredible. And it goes to show that there is black talent in the game. With yes, him, sir. as well as Devin Williams, who won in 2020 yeah. and was the reliever of the year across the MLB that year as well. Hundred percent, and uh, definitely, you know, hope to see way more, and you know, a lot more representation for sure. But it's a, it, you know, as much as we saw, uh, you know, as much as people talked about, you know, the fact that there wasn't uh, any black players in the World Series, it was good to see Dusty Baker uh, win the World Series, and you know, to have that in there. But yeah, yeah. we definitely want to see more for sure. Uh, but I think that's a, a good place to wrap for uh, episode thirty-three of the At Bad Podcast. Uh, next week we'll come on and talk about free agents. Um, where do we, you know, make our predictions? Um, and I'll be prepared to make my list and be wrong. Uh, so, <laughs> but uh, but the whole point is trying. You know, I'll make mine too, Saul. So don't worry. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll try it this year too. That's gonna be interesting. Yeah, we'll but, just, uh, we'll, just, we'll see who gets closest, and then true. Right, yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll put ten dollars in a hat. <laughs> Yeah, I'll, the Cubs, calling yeah. right now. Seven years, years. Uh, <laughs> he's trying to jump out in front. I was trying to jump out in front right. already. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! All right. Well, I want to thank uh, Chris, Gabe, and Miles for joining me, and uh, we'll see you guys next week. <laughs>